Amen. Open your Bibles up to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. The book of Psalms is filled with many different angles on life. And in Psalm 73, we enter book three of the Psalms. There are five books, and we're tracking through the collections of Psalms. And so entering into book three, book three and four, we get a higher number of Psalms that voice complaints. Uh, we, we use the seasons to describe summer, life is good, God is amazing, fall, things are getting bad, people are getting mean, winter, life is terrible. And book three and four in the Psalms is kind of a life is terrible. It, it's full of a lot of petitions and complaints and laments. And then we get to book five where spring comes and God is amazing again. If, if we had to list two of the biggest questions in Scripture... Two of the biggest questions in your heart that people ask, they would be this. Number one, why do bad things happen to good people? But number two, why do good things happen to bad people? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered, how can someone so vile have such amazing things happen to them? Surely there must have been a mistake in heaven. Someone who's keeping track of who gets rewarded in this life messed up. Because here I am languishing and there she is prospering. Have you ever been bothered by this question? Has it led you to ask, why follow the rules? Why be nice? Why work hard? So many people who are loafing are living better lives than me. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they bully their way to wealth and power. Nobody can tell them they're wrong. They've got groupies who cheer their every move. They're having so much fun, and I'm missing out. Have you ever felt that way? Aren't we all settling for less? Why do the wicked prosper? Well, that's the question voiced in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, Psalm of Asaph says this, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Wow. Number, this isn't the first point yet. This is an initial question. Who are you? Who are you is the first question. And there are three options. Jot this down. Are you pure in heart? It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Israel means the collection of God's people nationally in the Old Testament. Israel was the people of God. God is good to his people, to those who are pure in heart. That's what we've been taught to believe. Are you pure in heart? A pure in heart person means a person of faith, devoted to God, living by his law. Typically in the New Testament, this would be a person who worships Christ regularly, sings praises as, to Jesus as Savior, walks with Christ in community, likes to be around other Christians in church, works for Christ, serves and shows that he's or she's a servant of Christ, and witnesses, speaks freely about faith to other people. Those are, those are generally evidences that a person is truly saved. A lot of people think they're saved, but they're really not. A non-Christian is usually vague and general about God. Sure, God, yeah. Religion, oh yeah, religion, yeah. But they're not specifically measurably devoted to Christ in any meaningful way. And even those people who know them best would struggle to answer the question, are they a born-again follower of Christ? 
but they think they're saved. Are you pure in heart? Are you pure in heart? Or do you honor Jesus on occasion with your lips, but as the Bible says, your heart is far from him? Or write this down. Are you wicked and happy? This psalm talks about people who are arrogant and wicked. That's not a very popular word to use today to describe people, but it's biblical. Wicked and happy. A worldly person with no evidence they fear God or follow his law is called wicked in the Bible. Now, these people aren't always evil. They don't run around kicking cats all day long. They're just worldly, godless, and shameless about it. And there's plenty of evidence in their lives that they are on their own path. They are not living for God or for Christ. Some people have blatantly come out and made comments that fall in line with this way of life. Brad Pitt, who was raised Southern Baptist, walked away from the faith. He said this, I'm 20% atheist and 80% agnostic. I don't know if he knows what those words mean, because actually it's impossible. <laughs> agnostic is like you're kind of in the middle atheistic, because you kind of know that there is no God. Okay. Sir Ian McCallan, beloved Gandalf, said, I'm an atheist. So God, if she exists, isn't really a part of my life. Bill Maher said this, there is no great religion. They're all stupid and dangerous, and we should insult them. All right, Kathy Griffin gets the uh, award for what she said, literally while receiving an award. A lot of people come up here and they thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. He didn't help me a bit. So all I can say is, suck it, Jesus. This award is my God now. It's going to be an awkward moment on Judgment Day when that comes up. I'm sure there will be a lot of those moments for her. Now what I'm saying is, these are people who are, they're just happy. They, they don't care about honoring God. They walk away, or they never knew God, and they just don't care. The Bible calls them wicked. Uh, that might be offensive to you, it's, but they are offensive to God, and that's what's more important. That offense is more important. God is offended. Uh, so who are you? Are you pure in heart, or are you wicked and happy? Uh, or try this down, are you caught in the middle? Are you caught in the middle? Because Psalm 73 is about a guy who got caught in the middle. I was doing it the right way. Then I saw all of these wicked people. And they're making bank. And so he's like this. <laughs> I want to go over there. Have you ever felt this way? There's so much fun over there. There's so much money over there. There's so much power over there. There's this over there. And God wants me here. <clears throat> Some of you are there right now. Are you caught in the middle? Are you honoring God, but you're tempted to stray? You're churched, but you're torn? Here's a picture of a guy who's got a choice to make. He's, he's got a choice to make. He's got to go one different direction. I didn't know this, but some of the musicians who saw this picture from our worship team before I showed it, they're like, oh, you're showing a picture of Robert Johnson, huh? I'm like, I don't know who that is. I just Googled Farm Road. They're like, no, no, no. That's the guy who sold his soul to the devil to become a great musician. And I'm like, well, that's an even better illustration. Because this guy's got a choice to make. And he literally sold his soul to the devil so he could become an amazing musician. He's a real person. But the whole sold his soul to a devil sounds a little like a myth. Here's the thing. We've got a choice to make. Is that you right now? College students, you've got a choice to make. High school students, young adults, people in the prime of life, in the middle. 
wondering what the rest of life will hold, and those who are trying to finish well, which way are you going to turn? Are you caught in the middle? Now the psalmist says, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. He was so close, and he realizes he was on slippery ground. He almost fell. He, he now sees it as a fall. He would have fallen had he gone that way. Here's a picture of a guy who was just trying to get out to his car, and he didn't realize his, uh, his driver was covered in ice. Check it out. This is a video. was not expecting ice on his Virginia driveway. Oh, there he goes. Yep. Down, 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 and he, oh. Down he goes. He <laughs> this is Psalm 73. Okay, I almost did this. The psalmist is like, this was almost me. Almost. One more step. Now, that's the way that the psalmist describes what he almost did. If you choose to walk the way of the wicked because the way of the righteous is not, is not paying off, this is going to be you, according to this psalmist. So, where are you? Are you pure in heart? Are you saved? Do you follow Christ with a pure heart? Are you wicked and happy? You don't even care. Or are you caught in the middle? Well, now we get to the points here. Let's read on. I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs, that's like hurts, until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff, speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will thus speak, I would have betrayed the generation of your children." Number one, why are wicked people enjoying the good life? That's the question. That's the complaint. That's the protest. God, why is life this way? This psalm hints on a troubling reality. The, Bi the problem is the Bible indicates that the Lord will bless those who follow the good path. He will punish those who sin. Generally speaking, what we observe in life is not every single day someone makes a bad choice and then God strikes them with lightning. We don't see that. And so the Bible describes something and then we see something else in life. How do we reconcile those two realities? And we have to take comfort in understanding that the Bible is very aware of the problem. So it's not like when someone stands up and says this, well, the Bible said it first. In fact, the Bible says it a lot. Job, the righteous man in his generation who suffered, 21, 13 to 14, complained about this. The wicked, they spend their years in prosperity and go down to the grave in peace, yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Job saw it. Jeremiah 12.1, why do all the treacherous thrive? Jeremiah saw it. Jonah went to tell the wicked Ninevites that God's about to pound them, and they repented, and then they got away with it all, and Jonah just sat there, 
I knew you were going to do it. I knew you were going to forgive them all. I knew it. They got away with it. Nineveh would be the nation to come and conquer Israel. How dare you, God? Hey, are you bothered deeply by this reality? Are you bothered deeply by the reality? Shouldn't the wicked be sad and suffering until they turn around? Have you wondered that? Why are the wicked people enjoying the good life? Describes them, verse 8 or 6, Pride is their necklace. They wear it every day. Violence covers them as a garment. They clothe themselves in garments. It talks about their prosperity. Their bodies are fat and sleek. I read this psalm to the kids. They were chuckling at all the fat words. Fat and sleek. It says in verse 7, their eyes swell out through fatness. Now, why is it talking about that? Well, in the Old Testament, you know, generally you couldn't just go and have all the food you want. So if you were rich and prosperous, you had more food. And if you therefore had more pounds, they would automatically assume that you had more money. And, and look at, they get to eat anything they want. So that was part of a display of indulgence, right? Indul- they over, not, they, they're not just living it up. They're abounding in indulgence. Their hearts overflow with follies. They're not even trying to put on a good face. They're just blatantly living up the wicked life. They scoff and speak with malice. They threaten oppression. So jot this down. They're prosperous and proud. They're prosperous and proud. Whether crime paid, or they sold out, or cut corners, they rose to the top and left the way of the righteous behind. Today we would call them influencers. They would have private chefs, tons of cars. They made it. They're haughty people. We have a lot of people in our day who were prosperous and proud and godless. Steve Jobs built Apple, one of the most um, foremost organizations on earth, got rich, known for being a giant bully, uh, bullied his way all through life, wouldn't hold back, and, and made bank. It paid. And uh, when he was dying in an interview, one of his last interviews, he said, I'm 50-50 on whether or not there's an afterlife. He's 100% now, uh, but 50-50. I mean, just the disregard for what God has revealed in his word, prosperous and proud. Conor McGregor is the most recognizable sports figure on earth. You go to any country, you see billboards with Conor McGregor, MMA fighter, also fought Floyd Mayweather, crossed over into boxing. Um, And Floyd Mayweather, during an interview, was asked by TMZ, a reputable organization, who would win in a fight, you or Jesus? Conor McGregor laughed a little bit and uh, said, well, I'd, I'd whoop his butt. I mean, he didn't say butt. And just uh, the, the blasphemy is staggering of how people treat the name of Christ Jesus today. They are prosperous and proud. Jot this down. They're mean and violent. They're mean and violent. Violence covers them as a garment They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. I hope you realize the magnitude of this psalm. You can take all of the oppressive injustices in all of human history, the very worst of the worst, the vilest people who have ever lived, and it's spoken of here. How are they getting away with it? 
How are they getting away with it? When I think about human history and the violence that fills our past, I think about those with power who abuse that power financially, sexually, emotionally. They were predators. They took advantage of others, and they got away with it because of their fame, because of their fortune, because of their connections. How could this be? I read a book recently about uh, how they hunted the, the Nazis who got away with the Holocaust after the war. Many of them just fled, or they were presumed dead, but they actually weren't. And it's so troubling, so deeply troubling to know 7, 8, 9, 12, the millions of people who, who died because of what these men did. And they walked. They walked. They were unrepentant. Adolf Eichmann was thankfully eventually captured uh, later, but engineered the death of millions of people in the concentration camps. And uh, his son was reported as saying, I just regret that my dad couldn't finish what he started. Just went on to get a job working on cars. They fled down usually to Argentina. No remorse. No remorse. No remorse. And then there was uh, Joseph Mengele, I think his name was, the angel of death. And they thought he was dead, so he got away with it too. He's the one who performed sick experiments on pregnant women and children in the concentration camps. Whistled while he worked and uh, got away. They thought he was dead. He was living in Argentina and, you know, eventually reconnected with his family, went back and traveled through Europe, went on skiing trips in Switzerland and... Never got caught. You realize that this psalm is accounting for this problem. This is a problem in our world. It's a big problem. Why are wicked people enjoying the good life? They're prosperous and proud. They're mean and violent. Jot this down. They're godless and arrogant. They're godless. They're cursing the heavens. And they're arrogant. They're afraid of nothing. I read a book on the mafia recently also the mafia. And um, if you read anything about the mafia in the 50s, they didn't even believe in organized crime. People were like, oh yeah, right. They had to actually establish that there was such a thing as the mafia and organized crime, that they made billions of dollars uh, through, through stealing and organized crime. They, people didn't believe, so they had these congressional hearings where they brought in all these mobsters for the first time, and America was glued to the screen. What is this? Is this real? And they had to establish that there were these wicked people. Uh, Bobby Kennedy called it the second entire government and went to war against them. And Sam Giancana was one of the most famous of the family. He came in. Here's a picture of Sam Giancana. And uh, there's legendary battles where Bobby Kennedy squared off against Sam Giancana in congressional hearings. And Bobby Kennedy tried to get him to admit there is a mafia and they do terrible things. And at one point, Bobby Kennedy said, did you or did you not kill a man and stuff his body in the trunk? And Sam Giancana giggled. He laughed. He laughed. They couldn't do anything. Godless and arrogant. Why are wicked people enjoying the good life? Prosperous and proud, mean and violent, godless and arrogant. Do you struggle with this? Verse 13, all in vain have I kept my heart clean. Washed my hands in innocence for all the day long. I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. 
He realizes if I said anything, like I'll do that, I would have betrayed the generation, the people of God. Well, what, what happened? How did this guy get out of this problem? Verse 16, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until, and then something happened, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Write this down, but in the end, but in the end, why are wicked people enjoying the good life? Number two, but in the end, he started thinking about the end. When I was a graduate student at Moody Bible Institute, I took a class on the Psalms. The professor I had was pretty exciting. He would actually take us on field trips. And so he's like, we're going to do Psalm 73 today. I'm like, oh, all right. So we walked all, from Moody, we can walk all the way down to the center of the city. So we sat outside the cheesecake factory, right? And, uh, you know, where the uh, Hancock building is. And there we were sitting. And he read the first half of the Psalm. And he said, now look around. This isn't true of everybody, but look at the money that comes into Chicago and the power. And think of the corruption that has marked this city. And we're by the Cheesecake Factory. And think of, you know, everything that we eat. And he's like, and imagine all of the sin that people are getting away with right now. And we were all looking around like, whoa, yeah. And then there is a church right across the street. Beautiful church, huge and they've got a big sanctuary, and the pipe organ plays all day long. So then we walked into the sanctuary, and we sat down. And the stained glass windows showed pictures from the Bible. And then he read the second half of the psalm, because we had entered into the house of God. He's like, this is what the psalmist did. When I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Jot this down. They will be destroyed in an instant. In the end, they will be destroyed in an instant. They will die just like you and me, often as casualties of their own godless systems. Same machinery that made them devours them. In a moment, they're not as secure as they seem. They'll be swept away in a breath. The psalmist realized this. Present realities are not permanent realities. And I hope you realize that too. Your eyes are playing tricks on you. What you see is not eternity. In the end, they will be destroyed like that. The Olympics are coming, Tokyo, a couple days away, Summer Olympics, and people train their whole lives just for a few minutes to try and prove themselves. Sometimes things go very wrong in that very short span of time they have. Here's a picture of Olympic athletes, and their dreams are dashed because something goes wrong, uh, whether it's the equestrian or, or the hurdler or on the pommel horse or the beam, and, and they become perfect at what they do, and then something happens, and it's over. It's over. In an instant, it's over, and they lose. Hey, look, that's what's coming for the wicked. Look, it's not going to take time. It's going to be in a moment. They'll go down that fast. Your eyes are playing tricks on you. They'll be destroyed in an instant, and they'll lose all that they've worked for. Jot this down, and God will despise them. God will despise them. It says in verse 20, Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them 
as phantoms. God will despise them. God's not impressed. People who have a lot often assume God must like them more. This is an unbiblical and false assumption. Well, I have so much, I don't know why, but God must really love me. You know what the Bible actually says? It's harder to get a rich man through the eye of a needle or a camel. I misquoted that. It's harder to get a camel through the eye of a needle than to get a rich man into heaven. So get a sewing needle and a camel. Try it. Can you do it? Can you? The point is you can't do it. You can't shove a camel through a sewing needle, the eye of a needle, can you? Uh, that's easier than getting a rich man into heaven. Do you get the point? Do you get the point? So it actually shows that you have big problems if you have big prosperity in this life. You're going to have a harder time seeing how much you need God. And God will despise them if they leave this life without faith in Him. In sports, sometimes people cheat and they get away with it and they win big prizes. The Houston Astros, 2017, right? Won it all! But they were cheating. And they discovered it. They had a system where they knew which pitch was coming and they bang on a garbage can and some guy in the training area was watching and they had a TV and they had a little buzzer set up and they cheated. They cheated. They cheated. And they won it all. MVP! They won it all and they cheated. And now they're despised. Here's a picture. They're despised. Look at the joy! But they cheated. Now wherever they go, the fans boo them. The pitchers pelt them. The pitchers hit them with the ball. They are disgraced and despised. And that's going to be the wicked. God will despise them. Jot this down. They will perish far from God. They will perish far from God. Swept away in a moment. You despise them as phantoms. They will perish far from God. Hey, the wicked will leave this life with no reward. The only thing they will have in the next life is eternal conscious torment. It's called hell. This is true whether their status led them to actively deny and reject and oppose God or passively just ignore him. Either way. And so we have to check our own hearts. Are you battling envy? Have your eyes been roving around at those people who are doing so well and God is not the first thing that's important to them and if only you could be like them and they're the ones who are influencing you and you would like to be like them. You're listening to them. Your eyes are on them. Are you struggling with envy? As a result, has a spirit of complaint and comparison tracked your heart? Why can't I be like that? Why is God holding me back? Do you think somehow God is depriving you of the good life? Are you struggling with fear of missing out? Listen, they are doomed. Soon, in the blink of an eye, they will be nobodies permanently, with nothing forever. Is that what you want? Is that what your heart longs for? Your eyes are playing tricks on you. Who are you? Pure in heart, wicked and happy, caught in the middle. Number one, why are wicked people enjoying the good life, the prosperous and proud, mean and violent, godless and arrogant? Number two, but in the end, they'll be destroyed in an instant. God will despise them. They'll perish far from God. So number three, it is good to live for God. It is good to live for God. Verse 21, I was 
When my soul was embittered, I was pricked in heart. I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He's looking back on himself. You ever look back on younger you? You ever think back about younger you and the things you've said? Sometimes Facebook has memories. Some memories, and you're like, oh, what was I wearing? Oh, what was I doing? Remember you? Remember college you? I'm not excited about that portion of judgment. Now let's move on to college, Ryan. Oh, boy. Yeah. Can we just skip that part? The whole section. This guy's a lot of thinking about younger him. I was like an animal. Can't believe what I was saying to God. Nevertheless, verse 23, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. What is he most excited about? One commentator categorized it very well. He's grasped by God. He's guided by God. And he will be glorified by God. God's got me by the hand. Hey, don't follow God for the goodie bag. Well, okay, I'm in. What do I get for it? No, no, no. The goodie bag, he doesn't talk about the goodie bag. He doesn't list, well, I got all of these things because I followed God. No, no, no. God, God is the good. God is the good. Tim Keller made a point about that. Often, Tim Keller said, we go and pray and ask God for all of these good things because God has not become our happiness. Has God become your happiness? I have God. God is with me. Jot this down. He's continually with us. He's continually with us. Knowing God is the good life, knowing Jesus is the supreme joy of this life and the next. Yes, there will be streets of gold. Yes, heaven will be 2,500 miles long and high made of the finest jewels. It'll be nothing Nothing compares to the glory of Jesus Christ. He is the life. He's the king of heaven, and he's with me. He's with me. The one who existed in eternity past before there was ever a molecule. The one who never began living. He just always is. The great I am. He's with me. He's with me. Wow! I've got God. I'm continually with you. Verse 25 is one of the best verses in the Bible. Whom have I in heaven but you? Oh, Bono's going to be there? Big deal. Whom have I in heaven but you? The best part about heaven is God. And there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. I love it. God is the supreme joy of this life and the next. My flesh and my heart may fail. He's looking at his body. He's got problems. He's sick. He's suffering. He's hungry. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Jot this down. He will strengthen and guide us. He will strengthen and guide us. It says, you guide me with your counsel. God is the strength of my heart. He will strengthen and guide. He's with me, and he's at work. Whatever hardship comes, he's walking me through it. Through the fire, through the water, the mountaintop, the valley. He's going to work it all together for good. 
He's going to be with me. He's going to speak to me in his word. He's going to surround me with friends. God is with me. Jot this down. He will receive us into glory. He's continually with us. He'll strengthen and guide us. He'll receive us into glory. We will go to paradise with him. Verse 27, Behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Let me ask you a question. Are you missing out on the abundant life that is found in Jesus Christ? Nothing else comes close to the abundant life found in Jesus Christ. Are you missing out? Are you settling for earth's best? Or are you going for heaven's highest? This psalm is clear. There's only two roads. Which one of them are you on? I'll never forget when we were looking for a church building, our broker was named Fred Freeman. Fred did well in the business world. He handled a lot of industrial. We were looking at warehouses and everything. And so we went out and started looking for buildings with Fred. Fred was the friendliest guy you'll ever meet, but he wasn't a Christian. And from the first time we were out, it was snowing, and we were looking at buildings, and Fred started asking me about God. You're a pastor, right, Ryan? Yeah. What's the difference between all the different religions? I mean, what's the difference? Aren't they all the same? And we started talking about that. And then we started talking about Jesus and how he died on the cross for us. Visit after visit, I talked to him about God. Then finally, we were sitting at a restaurant, and uh, he finally just started saying, well, what if I'm not going to heaven? I said, Fred, you can go to heaven, but you've got to give your life to Jesus Christ. And then he started crying. Grown man, done well in life. And his partner across the table looked like he saw a ghost. <laughs> he wasn't ready. Fred started talking about how when he fought in Korea, somebody came you know, to the troops and, and talked about God, and he felt like that was the time, but he didn't give his life to Christ, and he was regretting it. He said, I think God was trying to get me back then. And now he's lamenting all these years that had gone by. And right there at that restaurant table, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He prayed with me right there and asked Jesus to be his Savior. And guess what? A year later, he got throat cancer, one of the hardest cancers to suffer through. And he, he went through agony and, and month after month and his recovery, and he never lost faith. God walked him through that to recovery. That's a man who's been transformed. And this psalm is asking you and me, which is it? Which is it? And don't kid yourself. Don't assume you're on the road of faith. Don't say, oh yeah, I kind of know God a little. And it's either one or the other. Most people who are on the road to hell don't know they're on the road to hell. That's the point. Unless you've repented and given your life to Jesus Christ, turned away from the way you want to live, gave it all to him, it's time. It's time. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Jesus, we believe that you are better than the very best of this life. No matter what we acquire, no matter who we know, no matter where we've been, it's nothing compared to knowing you. We came into this world naked. We will leave this world empty-handed. Then what? And Lord, I just pray for the moments when we struggle and we look around and we realize that life would perhaps be a lot easier, more prosperous and comfortable if we just sold out, if we just ran with the people around us who were living the party life and showing no restraint, 
It seems like the people who are flaunting their debauchery are, are having so much fun. And those who've worked their way around the rules and the laws are getting so rich. Jesus, forgive us for this temptation. Turn our hearts away from such nonsense, such garbage. They are doomed forever. Lord, help us to worship you. You are the very joy and light of heaven. You're preparing a kingdom that has no rival on earth. It will last forever. You're preparing a place for us to know you, to be with you. And the Bible says we will reign with you. Lord, why would we chase nickels down here when the streets are made of gold up there? Forgive our great folly. I pray that you would open our eyes to the reality, the brevity of life. Help us to realize that we need to store our treasure up, up above. And help us down here, Lord, to worship you and to give everything for you because you're worth it. And I pray, Lord, for those who have never given their lives to you for the first time. May they repent. May they believe the good news. And today, may they say, Jesus, here I am. Save me. Transform me. May they ask, grasp my hand, Jesus. Guide me, Jesus, and glorify me in the end. And may you fill them with all the joy that only heaven can give them. And we pray this in your name. Amen.